This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we're reviewing one of the most ancient, bizarre, and desperate military strategies of all time. Imagine you're the leader of a small town or military unit in medieval times. Maybe it's the Chinese countryside, or maybe it's the Great Hungarian Plain, or maybe it's the hills of Scotland. Your scouts tell you that an enemy is marching upon you. You have no time to organize troops, make battle plans, or evacuate. What do you do? You could run, but without any organization, you'll likely be caught. You could put up the best fight possible, like they did in Lord of the Rings in the Battle of Helm's Deep, but that would be a losing effort eventually. Or you could hide in your fort or castle, simply hoping the enemy will think you've run away, but the enemy will probably sack the fortress anyway, finding you cowering in fear like a sitting duck. There is an alternative, a bluff of sorts, meant to trick your enemy, to get them to leave. It's brazen, desperate, and ineffective, but it opens up a Pandora's box of bluffing psychology. In this episode, we're talking about military bluffs and the abandoned fort strategy. And welcome to episode 19 of Game Theory, our show about strategy, decision-making, competition, and the like. Chris, last time I saw you was at Thanksgiving with you, your father-in-law-in-law or my wife's father, my father-in-law. Your actual father-in-law, my Correct. father-in-law, legally, once removed. Uh, once removed? Yeah. I don't know how removed works. Actually. Oh, Chris, the Red Wings just scored a goal watching the Red Wings game while recording this. Oh. It was in the evening. How about that? Yeah. Who are they playing? Uh, they're playing the Boston Bruins. If those of you that have a calendar want to look this up, the generic time of day that you're happening to be listening to this. Chris, so Thanksgiving happened. We hung out with each other. I actually have some leftover bourbon that I'm drinking that I uh, stole from you. You left it here, along with the leftovers, by the way. When you came back, the leftovers, they're in my house. They're gone. They did not make it days. Gone. I'm, I'm so mad about the leftovers. We realized that probably... Five miles out? Yeah, I, I bet you did. <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah. We saw them. We're like, oh, wait, they're not. No, there's no chance they're coming back, right? Yep, we're gone. So this is Bell Mead that I'm drinking. It is absolutely delicious. You brought it for Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, you started the day with bourbon, but it didn't go downhill. It could have gone downhill. A lesser man, uh, a Chris in his 20s, it would have gone downhill. Well, yeah, now that I'm in my third decade, I just... Am I in the third? I'm going to the fourth, though, right? Uh, I don't, this is the third, right? I, I don't know. I don't, I hate the people that are like, is the year zero or is it, did you start with year one? Like I didn't start. I wasn't there and I don't care. Oh God. Well, that's actually, that's actually a thing. Did you know that? Yes. That's a thing in, uh, like, uh, like Korea. Really? Yeah. When you're born, you're one. Yeah. What? Yeah. That was uh, like my, my Korean buddies in college got to drink like a year before everybody else because their ID said 21 on Holy it. Holy shite. That is right. Yeah, the because, uh, because the way I they start heard. counting is they start from one. Like, okay, you're in your first year. So like when you turn 21, like, well, we would consider that turning 20. That's fascinating. I love that. That is really interesting to me. Let's not get derailed awesome. on that. That'd be a great podcast episode. But this week, oh yeah, Thanksgiving, Black Friday was the last episode. It was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed that one. I thought it was really interesting about like decision-making and groupthink and collusion and all this kind of stuff. You can check that out in all of our former episodes. Some of them are on YouTube, but they are all available in your podcast feed. We love five-star reviews, and if you leave us a five-star review, 
that is an ironic five-star review, which is you give us a five-star rating and then you write a review that's mean or asks us a question, we will address it if you have an opinion, but we will not address non-five-star reviews. That's how this industry works, Chris. If you leave, if you pay for your review, I promise to address it personally. That's how this works. So if you do that on Apple, we will, of course, do that. The topic today, as we mentioned, is we haven't done history in a while. The last time we did history, we've, of course, done uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and we've done Alan Turing. And this week, we're going to do some we did, military. We did women's, we did, we did women's yeah. suffrage as well. Sure, we did women's suffrage. That is definitely historical. It was practical at the time because it was International Women's Rights Day or something in October when we did that. But we're doing... I keep track of these things. Yeah. Everybody's got a date. So we are doing military strategy and something that is really fascinating. It is essentially the most ballsy bluff that anybody can have. Yeah, we're doing the, the what I think is the coolest example of reverse psychology on the books. Uh, it's in the context of military strategy, like you said. This is this is the most baller move I've ever heard of in my <laughs> life. So the main topic here is something called the empty fort strategy. Right. So this empty fort strategy is an example of basically imagine if an army was trying to win a war without fighting it or win a battle without having to actually send anybody into combat. Okay. That'd be the ideal scenario. Like our boy Sun Tzu, the guy who wrote the art of war. Right. No, I mean, you want to win a fight without having to actually fight it. Correct. Uh, That'd be like the theoretical perfect. Right. Well, this empty fort strategy takes that and cranks it up to 11 because the whole point behind it is that you fight and win a, you win a war without not only not having to fight it, but without having to even get ready for it. Okay, so let me stop you right there and just jump in and say, I we have most of us have seen Troy, and I don't know how accurate Troy is in that the, we saw the uh, Agamemnon army was like, hey, we get Achilles and you get your guy, and they'll just they'll have a huge throwdown, and then the winner. That, that it's just like a winner-take-all situation, which seems like sort of like a similar thing to what you're talking about, but this isn't that. This isn't mano a mano at all. This is just a straight-up bluff. Yeah, so the plan is... Well, I should say, this is a, a formally codified strategy. I yeah. think the first example of it uh, is in this, this ancient Chinese text uh, called the 36 Stratagems, uh, that was a like a military text from you know, from ancient China, and uh, it's it, it was really kind of an essay, and the point of it was to demonstrate different ways of winning wars, mostly, but there were also politics and civil engagements and all kinds of like ways of, of winning and kind of running the state. Very very Chinese concept to have that many ideas about like how to win society. Sure. Uh, but this one is on that list, and the point is to deceive the enemy into thinking that your fortress, your facility, your location, whatever, yeah. is so heavily fortified, so full of guys, so full of weapons, so full of cavalry, so full of you know horses, I guess, or chariots or whatever, but you know, whatever the modern-day equivalent is, that any attack on it would be utterly hopeless. And you dress that up by making it look like it's an ambush. It, you know, the, the ideal situation for somebody who's trying to like take over a fort would be to just march up to the fort in the strategic location and have nobody there and they can just like take the fort. So what you want to do is make it look like there's nobody there. Mm. And your, your adversary would be like, okay, 
this is too easy. This is way too easy. We shouldn't be doing this. There's obviously a trap somewhere in here. Uh, the difference between a real ambush and the empty fort strategy is that in a real ambush, there actually is all this like cavalry and guys and guns and weapons and whatever, and they're ready to like kick ass. In the empty fort strategy, you actually do have nothing. You've just made your opponent think it's an ambush, and so they hightail it. So this is a question I have. We're just looking at this as like a, like a strategy. So if the question that I have then becomes like, is there another way? Is there a way to do this offensively, or is this just a, like a last gasp? Well, they're going to get us, so let's make it look like they're not. That's our last gasp. Like, would you ever actively, do you think anybody would ever actively choose to do this? Uh, nobody who actually wants to win a war. Uh, so... <laughs> I, I, I said this was one of the 36 uh, stratagems from mm. this book. Uh, it's actually, they, you know, they, they classify this down in a very classically Chinese style into different like types of strategies. Uh, they have like chaos stratagems and you know, proximate mm. stratagems and distant stratagems and stuff. This one is one of the several that is classified as a desperate stratagem. <laughs> uh, this is what you do when you don't actually have a way to like, win. like, like you don't, you don't intentionally do this. You do this when you think, okay, I have nothing else going for me. The last gasp I can do to survive here is make the other army think that I'm going to like kill him, but I actually have nothing. Sure. No, that makes sense to me because there's really nothing, nothing more that you can do. Now, I have some examples of some famous military bluffs in history uh, that we can get into in a minute, but like, I just want to think about this. So we haven't done our WTF episode on poker, which we're going to do at some point. We did chess and the world championships are happening. Uh, but we haven't done poker, but in poker, this is really simple kind of strategy. Bluffing happens literally all the time. There's only like three things to do. There's fold, be aggressive, or fake that you're being aggressive. So what happens in poker is whatever, whichever kind of poker you're playing, it, whether or not you have a winning hand is not the question. The question is if you're likely to have a winning hand. Now, if you're not, if you have a, a two and a seven or a deuce and a seven, if you're a stickler for lingo, um, but your betting is if you do what you get into this thing of like, I think he knows, he thinks I knows, I, I think I know. So everybody is aware of like a semi bluff of like, well, he probably has something. He doesn't have jack shit. He has something that's not good. But in the worst case scenario, like the only way that that works is if your opponent is also bluffing, if you're in a mono and mono situation. But the problem is whether or not they call you when you have jack shit. Right, which is what you're saying. This person has jack shit. It's not the same thing as having a pair of twos, which is not jack shit. Yeah, in, in the 36 stratagems, uh, the author points out that the only way this empty fort strategy can actually succeed is if most of the time when you set up these kind of ambush-looking things, you actually do have a hidden force, mm -hmm. and it actually does kick ass. It's like I, 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 I used to play softball back when you know they had sports. I, I don't know if DC <laughs> still does that in light of the coronavirus because mm -hmm. you know all that outdoor activity is so dangerous. Omnicron, yep. Yeah. So I used to play in a slow-pitch softball league because right. I wanted an excuse to go outside and drink beer instead of standing inside and drinking beer. And <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the league that I played in had a rule where you can't strike out. Like every player gets to hit the ball and try to run to first and do whatever. You were adults. This is an adult right. rule that adults followed. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, right. th this wasn't this wasn't the league for like softball guy. Yeah. <laughs> so my strategy in that was okay. You know, it's it's a co-ed league. Every team has like one or two guys that can just you know whack the shit out of the ball. So my strategy was to go up on the first at bat and just absolutely crank it. Just hit it as hard as I could, swing the hell out of the bat, and establish that I can hit the long ball. Right. And then for the rest of the game, don't. Just let them scoot back in the outfield, make them think, make them think they're going to make a play, and then just 
give it a little tappy, jog Just my way to first base. Little tap, tap, tap. I love that. Right. So you, you're but, threatening But that wouldn't work. Right. It, 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 it wouldn't work if I didn't have the credible threat of going yards. So similarly, if you don't have the credible threat of giving an overpowering ambush, then the empty force strategy just looks crazy. Yeah or, yeah, or like they're just like, yeah, go in there and take all their stuff. But what you have to be able to do is show that you have some sort of prowess enough so that your enemy, whilst approaching, would be like, uh, actually, you know what? This smells fake. Let's go ahead and do what we want. We see this in football. We see this in sports all the time where they're like, don't do it. We're coming after you. And then they don't. And you're like, oh, I should have done it. I should have done it. I know I should have done it. So I have a question. Are there examples of this happening in real life? In the military, kind of. Okay. Not really. All right. Uh, the closest example is th- there was an old Chinese novel uh, that <sighs> discussed the, the empty fort strategy. Okay. Uh, A novel. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, let me see if I can, I, I, I just had the name up here. Well, we all know Lord of the Rings is based on a fact. The, the, you're referring to the documentary film, Lord of the Rings? Mm-hmm. Correct. That's... Easily my favorite found footage, probably of all time. Unbelievable, the quality that they had back in whenever that was. Truly remarkable. So, uh, th- a long, long time ago, I mean, right. like, we're talking, like, second century you know, BC. Uh, the Chinese wrote about this, and, and you know, this is an excerpt from, from the story. Uh, so, I'm, I'm just going to read this verbatim. I, mean, I found this, is, you know, this is a direct quotation that somebody found on Reddit, so... Uh, obviously Great. a janky translation, Ooh, it. But, it, but it is quotation from the book. Uh, so Sun Chuan once personally led an army of several tens of thousands of troops there to some location. Uh, at the time, there was heavy rain, so the city walls were falling apart, and the people were scattered in the fields, and there was no way to make repairs. Pin heard that Chuan had arrived and did not know what to do, but then thought if it appeared no one was there, it could make them suspicious. Therefore, he ordered the people to hide and stay out of sight and hid in his residence and would not come out. Chuan was indeed suspicious and said to his followers, the North considered this man a loyal servant and therefore entrusted him with his commandery. Now I have come, yet he does not move. If he does not have some secret plan, then he certainly has rescue outside. Therefore, he did not dare attack and left. Uh, that's, not a real, that's not a real historical account. Right. No, that's, that's so I think that what happened was somebody read the book and they were like, you know what, that's good. What if I made that into a novel? Yep. Is that what you think yeah. happened? I, I I don't know if it ever happened in real life, but it it, it does. Uh, it comes from the the novel is called the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It's kind okay. of like a it's like a classic mm. story. Okay. Uh, the author of that is uh, Luo Guanzhong, and he just described what the strategy looks like. And there's no indication that the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is based on it. It's like it's like the War of the Roses. Sure. Like, yeah. I was I mean, actually just going to bring up medieval stuff because this is these. Um, these sort of stratagems in the art of war were very medieval history. And medieval history, for those of you who don't know, is essentially 600 AD-ish to 1400 AD-ish. It's the middle there where people don't really know what happened. They kind of do, but they kind of don't. It's not all many kingdoms. There wasn't great communication. We know that in Europe, in the medieval time, uh, this kind of thing would kind of probably, that would, what would be when it occurred, right? right? Right now, we know in intelligence and counterintelligence, this kind of stuff would never work. Like, we would know... At, at, Militaries know like how much artillery people have, where they are, how many troops are moving at the time. Like there's troop movement right now. It's it's chess. Like the, the pieces at this point like barely ever even interact. 
Uh, but at that point in time, you could bluff somebody because they're marching on you and you can hear from a scout and the scouts like they're coming and they're like, oh, well, we're not prepared. Shit. So then like this could happen. We know that in Italy, uh, all of the, the, the fiefdoms in Italy, they just hid in their towers. It's sort of exactly like the plot of Lord of the Rings for those of you that have, have, haven't seen it. In the second Lord of the Rings, they just fortress up and they're like, well, these walls are super thick. It's, you're probably not going to get through. And it kind of well, works out. Well, it's a little different because they had to... They were fleeing from the wild men of the north who had been commandeered by Sauron to burn and pillage. I'm barely listening now. Keep going. <laughs> you can't. You can't bring it up and then complain when I talk about it. You're, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. Don't don't sound effect your way out of this. Oh my god. So uh, yeah, I I'm so flummoxed about your lack of Lord of the Rings enthusiasm. Flummox, flummox is such a great word. So what I was what I was talking about was how in, in the, the, the second Lord of the Rings where they, they fortress up, that's a reasonable strategy. So if you don't have time to prepare to have a counteroffensive, it is reasonable, especially in medieval times. Well, it's, it's a desperate support. strategy yeah. is what it is. That's right. that's the real point. Well, and, and you mentioned intelligence and whether we can know stuff. So you, like if chess is a parallel. Yeah. Every player has perfect intelligence in chess. I mean, the only information that you get to work with is what's on the board, and everybody can see that. Yep. It's just a question of understanding it. And in today's modern world, I mean, with with some exceptions, most of the time, most like intelligence failures, like when governments make bad decisions based on intelligence, the problem generally isn't with the lack of information. Like, you're right. I mean, the collection is there. The information is there. Most of the problems arise from incorrect or ineffective analysis of the data or policymakers having good analysis and then choosing to just do nothing about it. So it's not a question of information, but you know, with, with the empty fort strategy in the romance of the three kingdoms, it was just a game. It was like, it was like that scene in princess bride mm. when that guy's trying to convince the guy that the cup isn't poisoned. Yeah. Uh, like, ah, you've fallen for one of the classic blunders. I have a confession. You don't. Oh, don't say that to me. Don't. No. Yeah. So wifey, you need to edit this out. Otherwise, we're going to lose every listener. Why? Wifey is pretty mad at me about this because it seems like I should be one of the people who is included in this group. But I am not someone who has seen that movie in its entirety or more than like 20 minutes of it. Mon dieu. Well, you need to. <laughs> I don't even know how to approach this anymore. Yeah. So I know what Dread Pirates Robert, Dread Pirate Roberts is as an idea because I watched a documentary about the Silk Road and the illegal drug trade. But I know that Princess Bride exists and that it's very important and that I should definitely watch it. It's the story of our time. It is the story of our time. Is that true? It's, it's, it's arguably one of the most important movies Probably I ever. have heard the pitch. I am aware of the pitch, and I have not rejected the pitch. I have no counter argument. This is what I was happened. just talking about. Just you have the information. You're just choosing not oh, to okay. interpret it correctly. Okay. All right. Well, I assume that the your reference there is not only accurate, but poignant and timeless. I am going to give you some other stuff that is timeless, Chris. Let's talk about some military blunders. Um, I... I go through phases, and I, you know, anybody else have reading lists? I have reading lists and movie lists, like with uh, Princess Bride, for example. Yeah, I call that my bookshelf. My bookshelf, yeah. Well, I, haven't, what, I haven't read any of this. I, that is honestly just something interesting. I heard somebody's take that how smart they are by how many books you haven't read on your bookshelf. I buy books that I want to read. Anyway, alas, did I they, go through phases did they, where... Like, did they have to surgically remove the stick from their ass? Or? Yeah, it was quite the okay. book. That was quite the breed. So... Yeah. I go through phases, and when I have a mood, I just follow the mood. The mood like, was shall like Mike me. Leach with his pirates and whatever. Correct, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's exactly like Coach Mike Leach. 
There really is no formal way to do the tango. No formal way to do the. T- we should get him on the soundboard. I will try to find a way to make that happen. Okay. I'd do anything to have a like a soundboardable on call. Mike Leach. Mike Leach. Okay. Fat little girlfriends. Fat little. That's a good. Yeah, well, we're fat, fat little girlfriends. girlfriends has some girlfriends. obvious advantages. If you don't know about Mike Leach, it's a fun Google. So. I got really into Leo Tolstoy when we were 18. I read that book out of spite to prove that I could do it, and then it changed my life. And then I reread it uh, like a douche 10 years later because you should always reread classic novels. The, the, did the book change or did I change? <laughs> but I found upon second reading of War and Peace. <laughs> what do you mean, did the book change? I saw that from yeah, How like, I Met Your Mother. I saw that from fucking ghost of, ghost of Tolstoy comes back and rewrites every print copy. <laughs> so <sighs> I got into Napoleon is the short of this story. I got really into Napoleon, and I learned a lot about him. And Napoleon's generals had two of the greatest bluffs in military history, Chris. What I, what I find fascinating about this is it's like the creativity. You see this in like sports and art and just execution of business plans that the directive can come from on high. And the director, whoever issued the directive, doesn't really care how you did it. Just do the thing, okay? Just get the job done. That's why you're here. Napoleon's generals were, you know, like any other great leader of anything else, had a lot of talent around him, like Mozart and Beethoven and Shakespeare. They were working with some pretty talented people, too. Uh, Napoleon had some OG generals. And so he pulled off a couple of the, or they pulled off some of the greatest bluffs in military history and in kind of in world history. There were two examples in Napoleon. So we'll just keep this in Napoleon. Napoleon, number one, is that the Austrians were retreating because Napoleon was crushing them. They had one bridge left, and they were guarding it with, like, basically everything they had left. All their kangaroos. Correct. All the kangaroos in Austria were there, and they were staring down this bridge. They had cannons and all this stuff, and they were like, if the French come over here, we'll kill you. And so both of the generals, they were like, we're coming over. There's an armistice. We're coming. We're just coming. Come over there. They went over there. They sat on the cannons. They screwed around with the men. They said, go get your leader. By the time the leader had come back, they just kind of, like, walked a bunch of French people over there. And then the subordinate was like, Mr. Leader, these French people, they're here. This is a trick. They're taking this. And the French guys, and they were famous. These were famous generals. They looked at the, the Austrian guy, and they were like, you let your subordinates talk to you like that? And the guy's like, no. And so he had the guy arrested, and they take him back to Austria. And by the time that guy goes back to Austria, they're like, yeah, we own all this now. So they, it's literally the exact opposite. They, they were outmanned, outgunned, and they needed to take one bridge. And they were the losers. And they were like, actually, there's a ceasefire. Who? who from, from who? Who said the ceasefire? But he, they banked on the subordinates on the other side of the river being so irrelevant and out of the know and so in awe of their fame that they would let them over. And they did, and they screwed around. They took all their stuff. Kind yeah, of incredible. That, that, just, that just goes to show it's important to be famous. <laughs> I cannot agree more. It's also, Chris, size matters. And so it, 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 mattered, <laughs> it mattered a lot in Detroit. Biggest D in America. Yeah, I have. A, this is going somewhere. I just want to see how what reaction I could get. Biggest out of you. D in America, and I don't think they've ever scored, have they? What sport are we talking about? Oh, all of them. Okay. <laughs> so in I was eighteen hundreds, eighteen forties, or something. Eighteen? No, it was the War of eighteen twelve. I knew it was something with the British. So, I think that was in the eighteen forties. It's a misnomer. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those uh, conspiracy theories that they make you believe. So the Americans have Detroit. Right. It's in the as Northwest Territory, yeah, as one does. Right. The British and the natives at the time, the American Indians, led by Tecumseh, one of the greatest generals who's ever lived, one of the greatest leaders who's ever lived. William Tecumseh, Tecumseh Sherman? Correct. So Tecumseh, <laughs> Tecumseh and the British general, I believe, I should get facts straight here. Brock. Brock. 
Brock. General Isaac Brock, Major General Isaac Brock. And then the, the natives, what they did was they... This is so funny. It's so stupid. They just kept running around. They shelled the outside of Fort Detroit, and then they just kept running to make it look like there were thousands of them. So they just like ran in circles. They like were marching. We we're just doing it in circles, kind of, so that they, so that the the Americans like, holy shoot, this is not going to be, this is bad for us. And then they wrote a fake letter that they knew would be intercepted, saying they're asking like, well, we would like our native, our our five thousand other native brothers to hear. We already have five thousand men, and it is pointless for the others to not be invited if they'd like to come in there. So that's like a secret way to be like, hey, we have ten thousand people. They had like a couple hundred. That's like that's like in the old movies where they had the screen in the background that was like on one of those. It was like a big revolving canvas, and it was just the same scene over and over again. Yep. Holy shit, that's incredible. What's wild to me is the bluffitude of all of this because at that point you're like, there's there's some information out at this point. There seems to be some data. Like if you're the the person in Detroit, in Detroit whose name was Facts Matter, people, Mike Gillich. Mike Illich, yeah, this is a little Detroit joke for you. Da, 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 da. This is really important to me. Why can't I find it? It's Brock, and who Brock kicked someone's ass? Anyway, I give up. Well, okay. How how did they not like? How did they not track that this is the same group of people that just keeps running? But was this a case where they like they got fooled because they're racism? They thought they all looked alike. I think there's part of that. I also think that they were sh- they were they were hunkered down in the fort, like in like behind an actual fortress. Like they were. Oh, not, so they couldn't they couldn't like see. There was no verification. Correct. There's I no guess like they didn't there, have cameras. The data wasn't great. Yeah, there was no ring. Right. There's uh. no there was no ring information <laughs> at that, at that point in time. Can you, so, can you imagine going back to the War of eighteen twelve and just showing somebody like a photo? <laughs> but, like, like okay, you would you would instantly. You would instantly just like win the war on your own, right? If you could bring back like a computer, even if you, you know, there's no cell service, obviously, because the towers and exist. Like, could you could you imagine bringing back a friggin' smartphone? Yeah. Well, I mean, what uh, would it do? It would just be like a light in your hand, right? Like a magic. You could stuff. well download a bunch of apps that work offline. I mean, you're good to go. Yeah, download like, download the Google Maps. Yep, the Google. I like, put them on the device. That's true. Um, I was I just watching West Wing the other day, where the guy was made a chief because he could predict the weather. What? <laughs> it, was, it was whatever. Anyway, the guy's name is George Hall. George Hall was completely fooled by this, and he wasn't the only one. Napoleon had another general that did something very similar, and they're, they're trying to get this guy to surrender. And they used the cannons. They, like, unhooked some of the stuff, and they wheeled them around to kick up dust to make it look like there were way more people than there were. And then they made all the men scream. and be like, if you don't surrender, we're going to let the men have their way with the town for the next 24 hours. That is nope. very funny. Bluff, bullshit, just faked it. It's just like a bluff in cards. He 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 went all in with Deuce Seven, Chris. That's like when uh, in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, when the the guys go to the uh, the radio station with that blind guy and they record the song. Literally the same thing. When they it's like only four of us can write. Yeah. So in the in the movie, what Chris is talking about, they have like um, seven guys. Well, they have four guys. Well, yeah, they, they they had it. Yeah, it was the it was the four of them. Right. With, so there are four with the, like uh, company, uh, 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 fellow plays guitar. Fellow plays guitar. That's right. So there were four guys in the band, but they, the, the studio manager, and this takes place in the 30s, is blind. So they'd say that there are more than that so they can get extra money. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. It is. It is absolutely genius. So abandoned for strategy, Chris. Do we think it ever happened? I don't think it ever did. I don't know. I I, thought, I feel like I read something. I, I tried to find this. I don't know. 
what the what the story is, but like apocryphally, I mean, I guess there's a case other than the one written about in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms where this like army was going to march on a city and someone was sitting on the gate that like on the wide open gate to the city, just like playing the flute. Mm. And someone's like, all right, this is obviously a trick. But I, I don't know if I'm mixing up that story with, is that just like another recount of the romance of the three kingdoms or what? And, and there've been so many warlords and stuff throughout Chinese history that I'm sure it's happened at at least some point. That's the kind of fun romantic part about medieval history, whether it's in China or in Europe where there's so much stuff has happened yeah. It doesn't seem impossible. Well, it's it, just it, not like, good documenting it. Well, and, and for some of this too, like you know, history is written by the victors, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> if somebody's doing the empty fort strategy and they succeed at it, like you, they're gonna write about it. Like people are gonna know about that. Like, yeah, I completely dunked on these people. Like, like, like three hundred was made into a movie in our lifetime. Yeah, and it happened in one Greek passage, like thousands of years ago, and we're still talking about that story. Yeah, like, was that like Thermopylae, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and, and like, like it, you know, you could so you can you bet your sweet ass if somebody pulled off the empty fort strategy and like turned around the kingdom so they were no longer in a desperate situation, you know we'd be hearing about it. You know we wouldn't have to wonder. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it was empty fort strategy, but I'm pretty sure right here in the good old U.S. of A., one of the greatest uh, local Native American generals of all time, a man named Tuscaloosa. Have you heard of him? Huh. For real, in Alabama, he did some ambushy stuff and it almost worked, but it didn't quite work. So that would kind of lend, I don't, it wasn't clarified in the book that I read that it was empty fort, but it does sound a lot like that where they, he hid in his house and it made it look like he wasn't there and then they ambushed the people and it was, um, well, no, no, that's, that's the opposite of the empty fort strategy. Oh, they make it look like no one's there. That's the part. Yeah. That's the part where you actually do set up an ambush because the empty fort strategy is where you don't have anything lying in wait. Like there is no trump card. You, you know, oh, you're not man. you're not walking into a trap. Like if you call the bluff, you're gonna win. <sighs> it's it's like you know if you're playing against pocket kings and you're bluffing like you got pocket rockets. You know, if you got if you're holding a pair of red cards, then you know, yeah, you lose. Like you're gonna lose the hand if they if they call the bluff. But so but that only works if your bluff is backed up by like actual credibility. Like if you behave the same way when you bluff as you do, when you actually do have pocket aces or when you do have the best hand. Yeah. See, that's a good way to think about bluffing and just in poker in general. So poker, the reason the most important piece of data in poker is bet size. How much money are you putting in there at a specific point in time? Um, you bet sizes should be a certain point in time. And there's, it's just like chess or any other game like boxing. where like, at the beginning of a round or at the beginning of a hand, there's a general feeling out phase. Like, I'm just checking you out. You're checking me out. Like, in chess, it's an opening. Like, okay, you're going to play these three. I'm going to play these three. We agree, essentially. We're, we're consenting to do this little dance. But in this kind of situation, what you're talking about means that you're bluffing with nothing, and this person barely has to have cards to beat you. There's no chance the game is done. You're going to lose if the cards are flipped over. So the question is, and like where the real art in bluffing and where the real art in this strategy would come in is in bet size. How much do you bet to make them think that you got it? Because in poker, you want to bet enough that they think that you're trying to trick them, which is what this is, right? So if I bet a ton, right, the lady doth protest too much. Yep. That's them saying like, okay, that's a bluff bullshit. But if I bet too small, they're like, oh, that's a reverse psychology bluff bullshit. What you want to do is bet like where they, where they are going to realize that they're about to get tricked, which is exactly what the empty fort strategy is. So for this, it's like, how beefed up do you make it look? 
do you make it look too beefed up to where they think like, well, let's where where's all the stuff? This is not the appropriate amount of stuff. It seems it seems like this is a little bit too much. Or also, if you make it seem abandoned and like there's just like a whistle running through town, you're like, mm, they're hiding in the walls. Yeah, you got you got to make it look like it's a really obvious attempt to cover up something that is actually there. I mean, yeah. you, you don't you don't want to you don't want to actually conceal some some resources you have hidden away. You want to make it look like you, you want your adversary to think that you're covering up a huge huge arsenal or group or some major ambush resource. You, you got to make it look like you've done kind of a hokey job in covering that up. So they're like, okay, well, obviously this is this is bait, and I'm not going to take it. And then they turn around and run. Yeah, I don't know, man. Do, I, it does feel like it's it's a stuff more of legends, and like I think that this is it, back in the, the this part of history, uh, Chinese uh, thinkers. This seems like a ripoff of the art of war, to be honest. And it's like one of those things where like, well, you know, what might work as a situation is this empty four strategy. I have this brilliant idea, but man, I think we we. Uh, I think this is a great. I think this is a great episode of Game of Thrones, where like, oh, this doesn't work. We're gonna make our last stand. But as like, I mean, I I read, you know, some nerdy websites like War on the Rocks and and other stuff. Like this is never, 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 ever, never would anybody today like. So I guess, do you think intelligence kind of ruined this? In a way, yeah, because it depends on people not knowing things, and we just live in a world of information. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Nice, short, and sweet on the uh, Empty Force strategy. We have all our reads, a lot of Reddit in this episode, a lot of Wikipedia. So if you want a deep dive, this episode's a great place to jump in and do a deep dive of your own. Some really cool stuff about the strategy. All right, before we get out of here, I want to do recommendations. So speaking on these kind of terms, I got really in. I watched Lord of the Rings like everybody else. And I watched every episode of Game of Thrones because the medieval fantasy stuff is great. The Witcher on Netflix is trash, but it is really great sets and great costumes, and it is just such a fun world. I hate it, but I, I love it. It is trash, but it's so good. So I highly recommend The Witcher. New episodes coming out December 17th. Season one is available to stream now, and I remember when my now wife was traveling around for work a lot, I, I binged that bad boy one day. That's impressive. Yeah, highly recommend The Witcher. on there. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations, Chris? Yeah, I do. Wheel of Time. Similar story. Great, great storyline. The difference is it's not based on a video game. It's based on a book. Based on an epic. It's a classic. It's a cornerstone of fantasy. Phenomenal sets. Phenomenal music. Phenomenal setting. Wait, Wheel of Time is on television? Wheel of Time is on television. It's what, on Amazon what, uh, what app? Amazon. Shut up. I remember all of the cool kids used to get to get out of school to read Wheel of Time. All their parents let them skip school to read Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump right. So we just recommended the exact same thing. Got to love to see that. We did. Yeah. Like, rate, review, subscribe. We'll be back uh, later this month with more with more fun episodes of Game Theory. Wherever podcasts are found. <laughs> <laughs>